in one way or another. We get feedback. You go to, in the context of our job, you have a, an evaluation and your, your boss says, you know, these are five great things you're doing and here are a couple of things that you maybe need to work on in the next year. Though That's a revelation. Somebody is revealing things to you um, about who you are and what you are. So, so spiritual growth sometimes comes through revelation. And what I'm going to say to you, and I've, I think it's in the notes there, is that really it's usually a combination of all of these things working together. But, but revelation first. Something I, I read, I understand, I've been told something about my character. The next one, the next way growth comes is by inspiration. There, there is a sense of, of God just saying something to you. It's just in a moment. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just my own personal experience and maybe yours too. But I know sometimes we have this, this really progressive kind of, we're, we're kind of nibbling away at things. But once in a while, God just reveals something to us, says something to us and inspires us in such a way. I know it happens every Sunday when you hear me speak. It's just inspirational. But, but something happens in a moment in time. Thank you for laughing at that. I'm laughing at it. And uh, in a moment in time, it's like, wow, I, I just get it. This is something different here. And, and, and however that happens, uh, oftentimes I just think this is just God just in a moment kind of showing up and saying, doing something with us. And so, so we get that. But the last one that I, I think God works through our character, and this one really applies to what we're talking about, is the last one. It's not just revelation. It's not just inspiration, but it's perspiration. Sometimes it's just doing work. It is just, you know, day to day, grind it out, do your stuff. And in the process of all of that, work, all that perspiration stuff, we learn something about who we are and how we function, how we interact with other people and do all that kind of stuff. So, so it's, I think it's really appropriate that, that we're talking about this concept of work as this avenue of character development because it's in the midst of that revelation, inspiration and perspiration that so much is revealed about who and what we are and how, that we kind of get an idea to say, is that the person I want to be? And who would I like to be? And how, how am I going to get there? So, so we're going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about it in the context of a story that I want to remind you of. Many of you will be very familiar with this story as we kind of go through it. But I, I, want, to, I, I want to just kind of walk through the process because it is the story. It's, it, it's what I call a before and after story. It is the story of Jacob becoming Israel. There, there is quite a shift from Jacob to Israel. He's the same guy, kind of same guy, uh, same physical guy, but, but God's doing something different in his life. And, and, and those, those two differences are found in, in the little outline that I have there for you that I think it's, he's, Jacob starts out with this kind of mindset in this relationship with God that says, if you bless me, then you will be my God. If you bless me, then you will be my God. And I'm going to talk to you about how we got there. But, but the Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 through uh, 22, say, say these words. And so if you have your Bibles and want to look there, or I think it's going to come up on the screen, Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 through 22, it says this. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then 
The Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all of that you, excuse me, and all, uh, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth, which is a whole other sermon we could preach, but but uh, we won't go there either. So this is the story. And so this little passage of Scripture has an interesting prelude to it. See, he just didn't get there. So I'm not you know, going on this journey like, okay, I'm off on this journey. And God, if you'll be with me, you'll be my God. He's there for a reason. He's there for a reason because he's fleeing for his life. You, you'll remember the story. Uh, Jacob was one of two brothers, his brother Esau. And, and you remember the relationship that they had with one another. Jacob was a younger son, and, but he was kind of the favorite of mama's boy. And Esau was daddy's boy. And so he's going along. You remember the story that they were all out and, and Esau was out and was hunting and he was tired and he was wiped out. And he came home and he asked his brother Jacob, would you cook me something to eat? And, and Jacob said, well, I'll give you something to eat, but if you have to sell me your birthright. And now Esau clearly wasn't the sharpest guy on the block here that he said, I'm so hungry, what good is my birthright going to do me if I'm going to die of hunger? So yes, I'll give you my birthright if you'll give me something to eat. And so he did. And so he lost his place as the oldest son. He, he kind of lost that place, that inheritance that he was going to have that way. And, and, and Jacob's like, okay, good, I'm making a deal here. And, and he's going on. So years go by and they're developing this kind of relationship. And soon his father is about ready to die. And, and his father calls in his oldest son Esau and he's going to give him the oldest son's blessing. Like, all good things are going to happen to you. You are going to be blessed. People are going to serve you. God is going to go before you. You're going to be in charge of all things. You're going to be wealthy and strong and healthy and all is going to be good for you. And he says to him, first though, go out and kill me something. Go and shoot something out there and bring it back. Fix me my favorite meal and then I will bless you. Well, his mother is in the other room listening and the mother says, oh my goodness, runs to Jacob and says, Jacob, quick, go and kill a goat. Don't go out there, go hunting, that takes too long. Just go kill, kill a goat and bring it to me and I'm going to fix your father's favorite meal and you'll take it into him and, and he will bless you instead of Esau because he's about ready to bless Esau because he's on his deathbed, so go do this. And Jacob says, well, what is he going to do for my brother is a hairy man and he's going to recognize immediately that I'm not him. And his mother says, don't worry about it. I'm going to cover, you know, bring the skin of the goat and I'm going to cover your arms and your neck and, and you're going to have, he won't know the difference. And so Jacob does exactly what his mother says that he should do. Go gets the goat and brings it in. She cooks it, makes a meal, does all that kind of stuff and covers his arms and his neck with the goat hair or the goat skin. And he goes in and talks to his father. He says, father, here's, here's the business. Now, now here you have to understand this. This is the character of of the whole family. This is a messed up family system. I, have you ever, you know, people have, you know, we talk about family systems. This is a messed up family system. So here we go. So, so we're in there. He's going in. He sees his father. And he says, here I am, father. Here's your favorite dish. And, and the father goes, boy, that was sure fast. And Jacob, okay, so just, just get his character here. Jacob says, oh, well, the Lord blessed me. The Lord helped me. Well, yeah, the Lord helped you. <laughs> well, yeah, and so, okay, well, here it is. And so here's your favorite food, and he's eating his food. And, and his father says to him, 
hmm, this is interesting. You smell like, you smell like my son Esau because the mother took Esau's clothes and dressed Jacob in in Esau's clothes. And he says, you smell like my oldest son, but you sound a lot like Jacob. So, okay, so here he is. So now, now Jacob is going like, oh, well, but it's me. Well, yeah, it's you, but it's not Esau. It's, <laughs> and so you, you see this, this, this character that's coming out that he's, he's, one, he's being led astray by his mother. Then he's buying into the system with his mother, but now he's gone in and he's lying himself to his father. And his father goes in and says, okay, well, <laughs> come that I may bless you. Let me touch you. And he touches his arm and he touches his neck. And he says, okay, let me give you the blessing. And he gives them the blessing. You are going to be blessed above all others. Your siblings will, you'll rule over your siblings. You are going to have great prosperity in your life. You're going to have everything you'd ever wanted. God is going to be so good to you. You have my blessings. And... Jacob, thank you very much. And out the door he goes. I mean, we're not talking five minutes later. Well, I don't know, maybe we are because it doesn't really say. But <laughs> short time later, it says, the scripture tells us, that Esau comes back. Esau comes back and he comes into the room and it's his father, here I am. I brought your food for you. And his father goes, what are you talking about? You've already brought your food. I've already given the blessing. And Esau is absolutely furious. Furious. And the father said, I'm so sorry, I, I can't do anything about it. I've already given the blessing. And, and could you just imagine the heartache of this? I've already given your brother the blessing. He's come in and deceived us. And Esau said, well, no wonder his name is Jacob, which means deceiver. From the very birth, his name means deceiver. He's been that person since the very beginning. And he said, Daddy, don't you have any blessing for me? And the father says, "I I don't have a blessing for you. And finally, he does give him a blessing. You wouldn't want this kind of blessing. You wouldn't want this. He said, Esau, people are going to rule over you. (laughs) You're going to have trouble. You're going to have to struggle to make a living. But God will help you. You're going to have 12 kingdoms under you. 12 sons. I think that's the word. God is going to bless you, but... It's going to be a struggle. And Esau goes out and he just says, I'm going to get my brother. Soon as my father dies, I am going to kill my brother. We're talking about messed up family systems here. I am going to kill my brother. And we're going to set things right because not only has he stolen the blessing, He stole my birthright as well. Now, he kind of sold it, so he kind of misquoted himself there. And so there we come to this passage of Scripture. (laughs) Jacob, knowing that he's about ready to get killed by his brother, runs. 
His mother says, go right now to your brother, my brother Laban, your uncle. Go to him right now. Just flee. Just flee. And so here we have Jacob. Now, and, and the, the apparent thing is, I mean, he's asking, if you'll give me food to eat and clothes to wear, it, it means he's really running with nothing other than he's got the blessing, but he has nothing. He's running away. And he runs down to, to his uncle's house while he prays this prayer. God, <laughs> you know, here I am, and let's make a deal. If you give me everything I want, if you'll give me everything I need, if you'll supply my every need, if you'll keep me safe, if you'll do all this stuff and bring me back here, then you'll be my God. Give me, and then I'll follow you. Anybody ever prayed a prayer like that? God, if you'll just protect me, save me, help me, then I'll know you're really God. Well, God's God anyway. <laughs> so off he goes. So off Jacob goes. He, he runs down and he goes to his brother Laban's house and he gets there and he meets the family. Oh my goodness, meets the family. Now, now Laban had, had this daughter and she was absolute beauty. Absolute beauty. And, 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 and Jacob fell in love with her just like instantly. And, and, and he was like, oh my goodness, what do I have to do? Well, Laban says, well, if you'd like to marry my daughter, Rachel, you just have to work for me for seven years, and then you can marry my daughter, Rachel. You can marry the one you love. And, and he's like, oh, no problem. Work for seven years. I haven't got anything to give you. I, I don't have anything, you know, because, you, you know, you have to, you know, pay the price and do all that kind of stuff. I don't have any money. I don't have anything. So I'll work for you for seven years, and then you're going to give me this. So, so he says it goes by, and he starts working for him. And the scriptures tell us that the seven years flew by because he knew that he had something waiting for him. He'd made a deal, and he had, he had this beautiful woman that he was in love with waiting for him at the end of seven years. So seven years come, and he says, and says, Laban, if seven years are up, I've worked hard for you. Let's have the wedding. I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. Okay, no problem. Let's have the wedding. Okay, so they have the wedding. The big feast comes. They do all the stuff. I don't, I don't know what the weddings were like there. I suppose we could do a little research on that. But anyway, they do all the wedding, do all the thing, and, and they come to the, come to the night of the wedding, and they, they bring in the lady, and, and they do their thing, and, and he wakes up in the morning, and lo and behold, it's not Rachel. It's Leah. I don't know if he was, well, I don't want to go there, but I don't know if he was so drunk or so whatever. I don't know. He didn't know who he was with, but it's not Rachel, the one he loved. It was her sister, her sister. And he is so upset, so mad. He runs out, goes, finds his uncle Laban, and he says to him, what in the world have you done to me? And then he says this very interesting phrase. He says, how could you have deceived me so? Isn't that funny? I think that's one of the funniest verses of the Bible. <laughs> the deceiver asking somebody else, now how could you deceive me? I mean, just crazy. How could you do this to me? And Laban says, well, <laughs> live and learn. You don't know the custom. We can't marry the younger one without giving you the old, without marrying the first one first, the older one first. So, that's just the way it works with us. Well, thank you very much. You could have said that beforehand. But you didn't ask. <laughs> but he says, Laban says, being the good businessman that he is, if you'll just work for me for seven more years, you can have the one you want. 
And in fact, you can have the one you want first. They didn't have to wait seven years, but you had to make a contract to go seven years. You can have Rachel. Okay, no problem. So, another wedding. Get married to Rachel. Work seven more years. Do all this process. Well, in the process, God is blessing Jacob, and things are going well, and, and his flocks are growing, and, and Laban's flocks are growing, and, and he's got all this stuff, and they begin to wonder what's with us. And so they begin this process of a business relationship for six more years. He had six more years there, and there's business relationships. So, so now he's worked 14 years to get his wives, and now he's working these other years. And in the midst of those last six years, they're doing all this monkey business with each other. Now Laban is trying to get Jacob to work for him for not very much and get the most out of him that he could possibly get. And Jacob is doing everything he can to be able to increase his own herd. So there's a whole thing. That I, don't, I don't know how that, you know, I'm not a farm and animal kind of person, so I don't know what laying certain kinds of sticks in front of animals does for their colors and all that kind of stuff. I think it, anyway, you, know, you read the story, but it has to do with white sheep and black sheep and white goats and black sheep goats and, and mixed colors and, and all that process. And in the end, it ends up with Jacob has enormous herds. Well, Laban has pretty good herds too, but, but Jacob's have grown immensely large. And he realizes, as reading the scripture says to us, he realizes that your father, he says to Rachel, your father's attitude is not what it used to be with us. He's not a happy camper. We're, we're in trouble. He's kind of found out about us a little bit, and I think we need to run. And so they take off. They gather up all their herds, they gather up all their stuff, and they take off. Now, talk about a messed up family system one more time. They take all of their things plus one more thing. Rachel, I don't know whether, it doesn't really clear whether Jacob knew this or not, but Rachel takes an idol from her father. And the father comes charging after them. Why are you stealing away? Why have you taken my stuff? And why have you done this? And why are you leaving like you're leaving? And and so they have this big come to meeting, come to Jesus kind of moment. And they don't find the the idol. And I'll let you read and you can tell me why later. But they don't find the idol even though they had, Rachel had the idol. But they made a pact to say, from this point on, I'll not cross this monument to do you harm, and you won't cross it back to do me harm. And they part. And so they travel on their way. They travel on their way, but the closer they get, they're headed home. And the closer they get to home, though, Jacob is just petrified. He's petrified because he knows who he left at home. He left this brother of his, Esau, from whom he stole the birthright and the blessing. He left fleeing for his life. And the closer he gets to home, the more afraid he is. And so he goes through this whole process. And he, and he gets there and, and he finally says, I've got to do something. So he starts sending gifts ahead of time. He sends hundreds of animals ahead of him. And he starts sending his family ahead of him, piece by piece, group by group. His family has grown immense now. So he's got... Leah, and he's got Rachel, and he's got her, Leah's, one of Leah's servants, and one of Rachel's servants. He's had wives, children with all of them, and he's got this big family, you know, he's got 12, or 11, about ready to have 12, and, 
He's got this whole thing. So he's going on this way, and he's sending them on ahead until at last he comes to this second passage of Scripture, and he's left all alone. He's back to almost where he started before. I don't have anything. I've not got my, all of my possessions have gone on ahead of me. All my family has gone on ahead of me. And I'm left with just me alone in this place. But something is changing. Something has changed along the way. He's, he's, I think he has heard some things. He's seen some things. He's seen how he acts and how people see him acting. And he's left alone and he's afraid and he doesn't know what to do. And we get to the second part of this little changeover. In the second part, he says, I will not let go of you, God, until you bless me. A, a different way of talking about it. In Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 28, it says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let go of me, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let go of, let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Something has changed. Then if you read the rest of the story, there's another similar passage of Scripture that follows. And something has happened. There's been this transformation that's gone on in Jacob's life. Started with nothing and here he is with nothing started begging and negotiating with God, and he ends up struggling with God, but saying, I will not let you go, God, unless you bless me. Something has happened. And if you know a little bit of the rest of the story, finally he goes across the river and he goes on his way, and here comes Esau. Esau is coming with hundreds and hundreds of his warriors, and he comes, and he's just absolute petrified. What is my brother going to do? But what he encounters is a brother who's also had 20 years of character development. And Esau comes and says, my brother has come home and embraces him and loves on him. And so starts almost a more healthy family system because We're going to talk about the rest of the family next week, but something changed. There was a change in his life, and I believe it came by those three things. Revelation, who are you, Jacob, really? You're the deceiver. came by inspiration, encountering with God, and it came through 20 years of perspiration working hard, struggling, encountering life, changing his life, shaping his character until he's no longer Jacob, the deceiver, 
He is now Israel. That's the what work does for us. I want you to hear some stories of people who have experienced stuff in their work that's shaped them. Beverly, come and talk to us. All right, Jim and Emily, would you guys come join me on the stage, please? Probably lost. We'll get started, and maybe she'll be on her way. Um, Jim, tell us a little bit about your, um, about who you are first, and your family, just so we can get acquainted with you. Put the microphone down. I am the son of Fred and Julie McCleskey, who are on a vacation at the moment, driving somewhere between here and Kansas City. Uh, my wife is Amy McCleskey, and she's with um, uh, some folks in Sunday school right now. And we have three kids, Devin, Desiree, and Dylan, eight, five, and two, and been here all my life pretty much. A couple of years we went to Penasquitas, but for the most part we've been here since it was University Avenue back in 71. When you graduated from college, did you go work, did you work for the same company for like ever? For the yes. most part. Okay. As soon as I graduated, there was a, a gal here who worked at Kelly Temp Services, and she hooked me up with some temp jobs, and where I ended up very quickly at Pixis Products in the uh, Serrano Valley area, and I didn't think much of them, but we eventually moved to a large building, and that's when I started taking notice and thought, oh, this would be great, and they hired me on full-time, and I, I was there for about 16 years. Okay. Um, you went through, like, the last four or five years, right? Pretty difficult times at work. Was it more like two or three years? I, I think the last two or three years were very difficult, but since probably 2001, 2002, it's been fairly difficult for, for uh the, the primary reason it was is I had a boss or was under a boss that was uh, a Christian and loved the Lord, uh, but his actions did not always reflect that. And he was um, he was always in the HR office for a lot of different reasons. So, yeah. That's a little bit but, but he gave Christianity a not-so-good name. Not-so-good name. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about um, beyond working for a boss. When we would interview new employees, we would always give them a rundown of kind of what you're maybe getting into. You know, you want people coming in eyes wide open. You don't want them to get in and then a month later say, this isn't what I expected. So we would give them kind of our two cents of what the work environment was like and what they'd have to deal with. And we continually had people going back to the recruiter saying, this place is toxic. There's no way I want to work here. And we were eventually told to stop telling people being recruited what it was like. Constant bullying, personal attacks, um, being being told that you're stupid, being told that you're dumb, being told that you cannot do anything. Um, we dealt with the sales organization. The salespeople are going to—they're well paid and you know, somewhat egotistical, and they're going to tell you what you need to to hear in order for you to be then motivated to do what they want and put them to the front of the line. And and those attacks were constant. In in addition to those attacks, you worked all kinds of crazy. How many hours are you working? I, th I think on a regular basis, the last two to three years, yeah. probably 70 to 80 hours a week, pretty regular. Uh, a lot of that was me trying to get ahead, trying to prove my worth. I was, mm -hmm. in my own mind, perhaps, mm -hmm. the next in line for a directorship. Right. 
uh, under this boss that was the Christian and, yeah. and not doing the, the best thing. So I thought, I'm the next in line, and he would have right. agreed. So about a year and a half ago, he was fired along with some other people, and I thought, well, this is good, you know, ring in my is, hands. This, this is, is good this for is me. This is it for me, right. And, uh, and he even said, he saw Jim, you've got some opportunity here, you know, don't mess it up. Right. And things happened that that didn't actually work out right. that way. So working 78 hours a week, one mom at home yeah. with three little children. She was working harder than I was. How I much did she like you during those days? I'll tell you, my family <laughs> suffered. I suffered as well, but my family suffered in that when I'm home, the laptop was open. And I'm always working, and I'm always trying to get ahead, and I get about 200 emails a day, and they always have to be responded to. Mm-hmm. Um, so she got the guy next to her on the couch watching a show, right. and I'm doing right. my email or right. project. And my kids got, you know, I'm coming to Daddy, but Daddy's on the computer, yeah. and I'm going to try and get on the computer too. And they got a right. temper, and they got uh, – I got bitterness because yeah. those situations you kind of look in – you look at how you're reacting to those situations, and you see it, and you don't like it. And it makes you bitter right. for having reacted that way to your own kids. Right. But and it's just a cycle. But you can't stop the bitterness. I can't it's stop still it. coming. Right, yes. right. Because you're angry at so many different things, it yeah. just keeps spewing out. Exactly. Eventually, what happened to this place that you were giving your life and soul and blood to? Well, 18 months ago, and and I met with some folks here, but 18 months ago they laid me off, but then they hired me back. Um, saying that you've got the skill sets that we want and you're the kind of person that we want going forward. And then about three months ago, they laid me off again, but for good. Right. And it wasn't because I was the bottom of the pile. I just wasn't aligned with the right people politically. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of those things that I kind of look back and go, would I have done anything different? No. We're going to finish your story in just a minute, sure. but let's go to Emily, who I have completely messed up today. So forgive me, Emily. <laughs> I'll buy you Alberts again. <laughs> Tell us who you are, who your family is, how old you are, where you go to school, that kind of stuff. Um, my name's Emily. I'm 14 years old. I go to, I'm a freshman at University City High School. Um, my mom is Andrea Wolf. You've probably seen her singing up on the worship team. And my dad is Chad. He's always playing the guitar. Yes. <laughs> um, Emily, last year in eighth grade, you went through some difficult stuff. Tell us what kind of stuff you went through. Well, last year, um, towards the end of the year, I had a group, I would assume, of girls who used the Internet to say really hurtful, inappropriate, rude things about me, which it was scary. It was frustrating. I felt personally attacked, and I wasn't sure what I'd done to deserve it. And it was a confusing time because I figured I had upset someone, and I wasn't sure how, and I wasn't sure how to fix it. So Emily's work, right, is growing up, right? You get that? You know, she's not making money going to school. Her work is is learning to balance academics and social life and growing up physically and emotionally and spiritually. And in the midst of that, a group of friends has taken her on online, right? What kind of things, how, how did it just affect your life in general? Um, the hurtful things had only been posted, they were only posted for a few days, but it made me reconsider who my real friends were. It made me reconsider things that I'd done, and it made me worry about who I really was, 
and how other people perceived me. I thought maybe if they were saying these things about me, I wasn't looking like a true Christ follower at school. I was looking like someone that they would want to attack. Where was Jesus in the midst of the struggles and trials that you guys faced? What Was he there? Did you, I mean, I'm asking to be really honest and open. I'm sure you had a gamut of emotions, but what do you think? Where was Jesus at work in you during those times? Well, after we had found out what had happened and what had been posted, I talked to my parents and we all prayed together. I had a lot of friends praying for me. I know you personally prayed for me as well as Colin and a lot of people in my church life. And God, I really think he helped me forgive the girl who had written the things about me. And I think he also, she confessed to doing it. And I think that he softened her heart and helped her admit that what she was doing was wrong. And he was there coaching me, telling me what to say and what to do. And he was also in her helping her realize that it was wrong and that she needed to apologize to me. That's pretty beautiful that you felt Jesus coaching you. You like those words? Yeah. I like I like those words. Jim, how about you? Where was Jesus at work in all of that in you? He, he wasn't always evident to me. I had my head down and working a lot of times, uh, just constantly def- on the defensive. But he was right next to me the whole time. I can look back and, and see him working on, on me. Um, I think for the most part, it wasn't, it wasn't about anything other than, obviously, you got to put beans on the table. But it's, it's all about the development of me as, a, as a, uh, being more like Christ. And, and when we are set upon in a certain way, you have to choose how you're going to react to it. And the same feelings that I got when I was laid off, depressed, angry, bitter, those are all similar kinds of feelings that I had while I was in the work environment. And if you really think about what kinds of feelings those are, those are reactions that we have because we feel, we assume that we've been wronged and we're entitled to something better. And so when you get past that and realize, you know what, it's not about me, less about me, more about him, you can move forward and, and leave the bitterness behind. Not always, but I'm getting better. And... Fortunately for me, I had somebody at work who was a Christian until about a year and a half ago. He got let go as well. But he was a Christian brother, very strong Christian brother, and I could talk to him about anything, anytime. And and that was a, the one support that I had all those years. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's the language that I hear. Um, Emily, how has this helped you grow as a believer? How has it shaped your spiritual growth? Um, what I went through and the fact that I saw God help me through this experience um, really shaped me in the fact that now I know I can fall on him. And I know that sometimes I'm not capable of fixing everything myself. I need him there to hold me and help me. Pretty powerful lesson for a 13-year-old at the time, isn't it? Um, We're going to pray for you guys because you've been really open and vulnerable with us. How can your church continue to pray for you? I would like my church to pray that I would continue to find God in the everyday mundane things. And I would like prayer to find people who I can really trust and who I can 
share my faith and my real self with. That's a very difficult thing, church, for teenagers to do. I don't know about adults, but it's really difficult for teenagers to find someone um, of faith that they can totally be open and themselves with and, and share Jesus at the same time. So let's be, let's be praying for Emily. Jim? I think the church could definitely pray for my family as I put them through this and come home one day and say, this, I think this is the one, and, and then the next day say, no, it didn't work out. Um, you mean looking for a job? Looking for a job. Right, because Jim Absolutely. needs a job. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that a lot of prayer could be put toward having me be patient and letting God show me where he wants me to be, whether that's next week or next month or you know, next April. I don't know when that's going to be, and that causes some anxiety. But I need to be patient and kind of let him do that. And then also enjoy the blessing of being with my family during this time, that I'm not having to work 90 hours a week. So that's definitely a good thing. And that, and that the job that he leads me to would be exactly what he has for me, that I'm not just going to jump at something because it's something. Right, because right. right now your job is looking for a job. Yes. but it's And that takes time, and that's something probably a diff, little difficult yeah. for your family. But it can also be sort of a rest from everything that you've been through and a reconnecting and and just, Lord, who do I really want to be? You know, you've shaped me. You've, you know, probably pushed out some poisons within me, you know, to continue to mold in me the person you want me to be. And I'll put uh, Pastor Runyon at rest here. Portland is not the right opportunity for me. <laughs> you knew that a couple of weeks ago, but they told me that uh, just okay. yesterday, actually. Okay. But I, I have another, answer. I'm, I'm, flying out, I'm flying out to Frisco, Texas, either this week or next, and <coughs> I've got a lot of things going okay. on. Okay. No. Okay. No, no. Frisco's a great little town, but um, we don't want you to leave there either. No, okay. I don't want you to leave. <laughs> Cowboys are there. Pretty close. All right. All right. Let's, let's stop and not worry about the Cowboys and just pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, we thank you that um, even in the midst of our trials and persecutions, you are at work. And we thank you for um, the parents that Emily could run to, for the church that she could turn to. We thank you for um, the way you are molding and shaping a beautiful young woman in Christ. And we thank you that um, you are raising up a godly man in Jim McCleskey, a man that his sons can follow after a man whose heart his daughter can trust, a man who can protect and provide for his wife. Would you provide new adventure and opportunity in the McCleskey family? Would you give them patience as they wait? Would you make it so clear that you have your hand over both of these people, that they will be able to look back on these days and know they were blessed by their Savior. Be in these moments, Jesus, in your name. Pastor David. These are stories of real life stuff. They are not unique. Every single one of us experiences stuff in the workplace, stuff at home, stuff in school, stuff 
and wherever we're volunteering, whatever we're doing. And God is using those things to shape our character. I, I, uh, I went and got some of this, and if you're a scientist, please be very patient with me because I'm, I'm not quite accurate here. I want to ask you a question as you close. What's the difference between this chunk of charcoal and a diamond? Pressure? Heat? And time? Pressure, heat, and time. Think about the words we use when we talk about our work situations. We say, oh my goodness, it's a pressure cooker. We say, I'm really feeling the heat. We say, how long do I have to be in this situation? This is you. And I wish I had a big diamond that I could show you that he's going to make you into, but... You'll just have to picture that one. (laughs) He is shaping your character into something different. Pressure, heat, and time. As we close, we're going to sing a couple songs and we're running a little late, but we're just going to take a moment to do this. And I want to just say to you, if you are experiencing one of those kinds of things, whether it's a work situation, whether it's a health situation, whether it's a relationship thing, whether it's school, volunteer, whatever. If you're somewhere and you're just saying, I'm feeling it right now. And, and, and you'd like prayer, I'm going to invite you to two things, three things. If you'd like to just kind of write a note about it, you can do that. If you'd like to pray about it and you'd like somebody to pray with you, I'm going to invite Beverly to come right over here. And I'm going to come stand right over here. And if you'd like somebody just to pray about one of those cooker kind of situations in your life, just come to one of us and we'll pray for you. I also want to invite you, if you'd like to take a piece of carbonata, (laughs) a piece of charcoal home with you, grab a napkin or a Kleenex because they're really messy. And you can come and pray with us or not pray with us. But if you want to take one of those homes, wrap that baby up, set it someplace where you're not going to have to touch it. It won't make a mess. But just to remind you that you're a lump of clove that God's making into a diamond, I want to invite you to come. So I'm going to set that down. The smaller pieces in there. As we sing, if you'd like to come, write, pray. Take a piece of coal, do all three, do none of it. This is your time to respond to what God might be talking to you about. Lead us, David.